Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I am intentionally wearing this jacket because the guy I'm speaking to, one of the first times that we talked, we shared our mutual affinity for the Cincinnati Bengals. He is in Cincinnati. I grew up a Bengals fan. I've always been a Bengals fan, been a Reds fan all my life. And uh, it's because we are in the home market of the Reds and Bengals. But this guy is actually in the home of the Reds and Bengals. He runs a company called Speaking CPR. And he can help you or anybody that you know be a certified and influential podcaster. Did I get that right, Michael? Absolutely. I can help you get your message out and stand out from the crowd because it's all based on your stories. Well, Michael may have to actually perform real CPR by the time we get done here with this conversation, but Michael Davis joins me the, today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Michael, good morning, man. How are good you? Good morning. I'm doing very well. Thank you, Brian. And I think it was, I was laughing because you were mentioning our affinity and our shared pain as <laughs> Bengals and Red sports fans over the years. You know, I always tell people, Michael, you can't help your raisins. Nope. My my dad took me to my, and I, I talk about this in my new book, People Buy From People. My my dad and mom took me to my first Reds game when I was five in Riverfront Stadium. It was 1977. And, um, of course, my dad told me that, um, he said, you know, you watched the 72 World Series with me. I said, yeah, I, I don't remember that. I was two months old when, when, the, when the Reds and the Oakland Athletics played in the, in the 70s. Now, I do remember vividly the 1990 World Series because I was a senior in high school that year, transitioning to my freshman year of college, and that was my team. In fact, if I would show you, I and, and Michael Michael has seen them, my, my nasty boys bobblehead. Those are my guys, Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton, and Randy Myers. But, uh, man, I could talk all day about our mutual affinity. I want to start here with you today, Michael, in this conversation. What are you hearing from some businesses that are having those CPR moments now? When I talk about CPR moments, I mean those moments that can cause a heart attack internally with business. Because when I think of CPR, I think of the term CPR. Mm -hmm. We think of the term cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Because this pandemic has caused businesses to have those moments of arrest, of, of just, you know, clutching the chest, if you will. How are you speaking to businesses and, and what, what are you talking to businesses about when those type of things come to you and they say, Michael, we need help getting our message out even greater to a higher degree? Well, there are two areas that I'm seeing, Brian. First of all, when it all hit the fan back in March, it, intuitively, instinctively, I knew that people were going to be struggling with getting online. I was fortunate in that I've been doing online presenting, coaching, emceeing for three years before COVID. So I knew the power of it. And I'd been encouraging people, get online, get online. It's the wave. It's, it's the future. And as of March, it's not the future. It's the now. So they struggled with that huge transition. I mean, when you're used to sitting across from people, and talking, communicating, standing in front of a group and speaking. It is a huge shift. And that's not just because you're looking at a camera. If you think about this, one of my mentors taught me that online dulls the senses. Mm -hmm. What he means is if you and I are sitting across from the lunch table, we're talking about our sports, uh, you know, the Bengals and Reds, I can see you. I can feel the temperature in the room. I can hear all the noise going on. I can hear you. I can smell the scents. I can even taste if there's food around. All those senses are triggered. With what you and I are doing right now, three of those senses are just shut down. Mm -hmm. I can see only what your camera allows me to see, and I can only hear your microphone. And while we're on these group meetings, most of the time people are muted. That's a big struggle that people just weren't used to. It's like overnight, yeah. we had to do a complete shift. 
Now, with that said, what I have to remind people is that the keys to effective presenting have not changed. We still have to have a central message. We have to have stories that help sell the ideas that we're trying to sell. We have to open in a creative way that gets people's attention. And we have to keep their attention from start to finish and mm -hmm. then close with a call to action. That hasn't changed. So I have to remind them that, yes, it's a different format, but the, the message is essentially still the same. Mm -hmm. and, and, Michael, here's the thing that I think is, is important in that as well, too, is people that were never used to being online in an online present setting, it takes a different mindset. It takes a different functionality. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would tell people all the time with this podcast, if I could go back to February or March as I was preparing to do this podcast, mm -hmm. if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have, I would have started where I am right now. Right. I would have started with a killer webcam. I would have started with a really, really good microphone. I would have probably bought a higher processing laptop. And not saying that those things, those, I've had to grow into those things. I know now what I know now. I've become proficient at it. But it takes time for people to become proficient. When you think about proficiency in delivering an online message, how important is proficiency and is it greater than the message itself? I don't think it's greater than the message itself. And by the way, that's an excellent question. I haven't heard that before. Um, it's the, here's the thing: message has to be it has to be central to what we're talking about. Uh, it, I, I see people, all the uh, coaches who are talking about it's your delivery style. What do you do with gestures and all that? Those well, and, and let me jump in there. Yeah, this, sure, the reason sure. that I asked the question is, is is that to your? I don't want to piggyback off of what you just said. You can have the greatest message in the world, yeah. But if if you don't have the proficiency and nobody can hear it, or understand it, or be proficient enough to get that out to a greater audience, then really your message becomes stifled. And that's why I asked the question: Is proficiency greater? I love what you said there, though. The message has still got to be the central theme. So let me pivot just slightly. If I can, if I can go a different way with that question, what is the most important thing to messaging that people fail to realize about messaging? It has to be clear, concise, and, and short, <laughs> clear and concise. Unlike that last question I asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the problem. The people that I've worked with, my, my coaches have worked with, they have so much to say, they're trying to jam too much in. And when they do that, their yeah. message isn't clear. We don't know why we're listening. And it may be entertaining. We'll remember it for about five seconds after they're done, and then we're on to the next thing. Think about, and I use this example a lot, think about 1963. A man stands in front of the Lincoln Memorial and gives a speech to wow. about a quarter yeah. million people. His message was so clear. I have a dream. Yeah. 57 years later, those of us, I was uh, in diapers when he gave that. You weren't born, but you, you instantly know what it means. Yeah. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Yeah. Where's the beef? Yeah. Where's the beef? Ask not what you can do if you're You know, it, where's the beef work? Because it was simple and we knew exactly yeah. what it meant. Yeah. Even yeah. if have you weren't a, alive then. Have a Coke, have a Coke and a smile. That was one that, that I, now, we, well, I, will, I will say this, growing up, again, growing up a Bengals fan, the last person that I wanted to tell me to have a Coke and a smile and throw me their jersey was Mean Joe Green. That's right. I would have wanted Kenny Anderson to throw me his jersey or Pete Johnson or Dan Ross or Dave Lapham. You know, I, now, I'm, now I'm really pontificating on old time, Jim Breach on yeah. old time Bengals. But yeah, you man, that is brilliant, Michael. What you just said, the message has long-lasting resonance. It still resonates fifty-seven years later. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was 
And let's let's talk for just a minute about Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Was it was it in its resonance, in its in its ability to to be sustaining? Was it the duration of the message? What what do you think has caused the longevity of that message and similar messages to still, to your point, 57 years later, still have the instant mind recognition whenever we hear those those words put together that instantly comes to mind. What do you think makes that so resonating for a long period of time? I think, well, first of all, because it ties into his dream was racial equality, being Mm -hmm. just having a fair shot. And that still resonates today because we have so much turmoil and there's still part of our uh, parts of our country that aren't getting fair treatment on a consistent basis. But I think it also taps into, we all have a dream. We have our own dreams. You you and I, we have career dreams, family dreams, dreams that someday we'll see our team win a Super Bowl. I'm not trying to make light of it, but we all have those aspirations. And that's such a simple phrase. And the challenge I see is so many people try to make it too complicated. Hey, listen, we're going to see a Super Bowl in our lifetime. There's a guy (laughs) named... There's a guy named Joseph Lee Burrow that's going to help get us there, man. Have faith, my brother. Have faith. I shall. But we, we overcomplicate our messages. Keep them simple. And people think, well, I've got all this knowledge. i got to jam it into this short time I have with you. No, you don't. The purpose of a speech, a sales presentation, a presentation to your group, it's not to give them your whole knowledge. It's to give them some inspiration, some hope. A, a new way of thinking about life so that they want more. You're not providing all the answers. You're just opening their minds up. Well, and, and, you know, Michael, we feel like, I think it, a lot of times people get lost in the weeds of, I've got to deliver the perfect message. Mm-hmm. I have got to be perfect because I'm trying to cut through the modicum of noise. I'm trying to cut through the amount of, of noise that's out there and have my voice be distinctively heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, uh, uh, here, here's where I want to go with this thought. A lot of times we will take and we'll say, I have got to make the message so unique and I've got to spin it in such a way that it's going to indelibly impress. It, it's going to be so absurd that by its absurdity, it's going to stick here. And a lot of times that's really not what you want to do. A lot of times it's the simplest, heartfelt, straight to the point messages that really have that long, that long lasting resonance. True. It, it is a big challenge. A lot of people I talk to, and I focus a lot on storytelling, will tell me, well, I haven't done anything. I haven't climbed the big mountains. I haven't won Olympic gold. I haven't overcome a major surgery or illness. And my point to them is, guess what? Neither have most of the people you're talking to. No, great point. The one, yeah, I mean, let's go back to sports for a moment. It connected us immediately our joys, our frustrations. I mean, it's why sports is such a great connector because people have those shared experiences. But if you have kids, if you have a business, if you're online struggling with presentations, you have something in common with most people right now. And commonality is what connects us, not perfection. In fact, if you are a perfect presenter, a perfect speaker, you're turning people off. So how does one, let me ask you this, what is the most common mistake that people make in, in their online presence? Because you mentioned it a few minutes ago, and I, and I really, I kind of hung on what you said there, and I wanted to follow up with that. And now's a good time to do that. You mentioned that you started to see this shift about three years ago. You started mentioning to people, now's the time to really build this online presence. Now's the time to do that. What was it? Let me go here. I was going to go in another direction, but let me go here instead. What was it that you saw 
in the marketplace as a whole that caused your thinking to go, now is the time to begin to ramp to that. Was there a specific thing that you saw or, or a series of things? What was it that really tripped your mind, Michael? Well, I work with a group of coaches that we have a weekly online coaching session with them. And that was, oh, I guess it's really going back four years. We were doing those and I was seeing how pe we were getting people all over the world. And I thought, well, this is fantastic because we're no longer limited geographically to having to do business or talk with people within 50 to 100 miles of us. We can help people literally globally. And we do every week. We're talking to people in India, Australia, China, the United States, uh, Boise, Idaho. I mean, it's everywhere. So I saw that it was a more efficient way of conducting business. And some of the networking groups that I was part of, I kept telling them, you don't have to set up one-to-one -one meetings where you get your car, you drive 20 minutes, meet, come back. I said, let's do online. And I got a lot of resistance until March. Well, and I would have to think that people would say, well, Michael, that's not the way we've always done it. We've always done it this way. We've been... And, and I'll tell you this, in working from home, that's been one of the biggest struggles that I've had is I'm a very, I've always been a very social person. I've always had a field-based role. And I've always been out in the field and doing this and that. And it's, it's an adjustment. When you saw that and you said, hey, look, I'm getting these guys together. We, you know, because you could have five or six people in an online meeting. You could be in Cincinnati. I could be in West Virginia. You mentioned Boise. And then you could tag in people from England, Australia, India, Russia, wherever. I had a gentleman on my podcast that will release here in a couple of weeks. We recorded the podcast. He was in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Thousands of miles across there. I mean, if I would get in an airplane right now, it's easily a two-day flight to where he is. Right. But now, to your point, to a brilliant point you made, now we have really shrunk time and distance. And, and, and from an efficiency standpoint, it's been great. What was the one unintended benefit that you saw from this? You were like, you, it, it caused you to have a V8 moment. Like, man, I, I didn't think of that or I didn't see that as being an unintended benefit of what we were trying to do. Excellent. I haven't thought of that. Um, I think it's just the. See fact what the Bengals jacket does. It just, it just, it, it, it it's, just it's brings like this brilliance out. Of right. It. it, it's like you know, it's 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 like Obi Wan Kenobi in the robe. You know, you just put it on and 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 immediately, you know, I feel like Zach Taylor. I feel like I've just called. I'm just calling the perfect game right now. <laughs> That's right. I know what the unintended consequence is. That it completely leveled the playing field in my industry. Professional speakers who've been doing this for 30, 40 years, uh, leaders, the, the, basically the rules all got reset in March of this year. Some professional speakers who have to be in front of a crowd, they're that extroverted, they're getting out of it. They can't deal with this. So if you're brand new to the speaking world, if you're even in sales leadership, this is the best opportunity that we will see in our lifetimes to catch up to people who are way ahead of you. Maybe even get ahead of them because they're struggling to undo a lot of old rules. Whereas we're coming in with this technology saying, yeah, I'm used to this. And, and mm -hmm. by the way, we're never going back to 100% live meetings, presentations, speeches. We're going to, but it, the word that I've been hearing for two months, and I agree, is hybrid. Well, the, the reason being is, is that you can either spend thousands of dollars bringing everyone together with flights, hotels, meals, a conference venue, or you can take that investment and you can say, I want the very best webcam that you, that, that whatever, whoever makes it on the marketplace. And I want the very best microphone, whoever makes that on the marketplace. And for less money, then you can do those things in that setting. Maybe you meet twice or three times a year in one of those big settings like that, conference settings. You can now outfit your team with that and save money. 
Sure. You can give your team the very best of the best and still save money. And I agree with you. And maybe that maybe that's not what you were looking for with an answer. I just the first thing that leapt to my mind was cost reduction. Absolutely. Uh, that was the unintended consequence of companies who have been resisting having people work from home because they thought, well, we're not going to, they're not going to be as efficient. They'll be distracted. Now in the early days of COVID companies saw their productivity go through the roof because people had nothing better to do. They were just desperate. They were afraid they would lose their jobs. Now, well, let, me say, let me say this. And sure. if you don't mind me jumping in there, oh, go ahead. I commented on a post on LinkedIn because someone was talking about the commercial real estate market out in California. And I said, the reason that you'll have some companies that will go to a work from home model for a portion or a larger portion of their workforce is think of the two things that companies have that are fixed costs that with a building, they, they don't have now. If they close a building down, they have saved money on not only the lease of that building, but also the, the utilities, the, the electric, the water. The, 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 you know, the, you know, if they, if they provided coffee and things like that in areas of, of the building, they can now shift those, they can get rid of all those expenses because guess what happened? Guess what companies don't reimburse for when you work from home, they're not going to reimburse you for your electricity. Right. They're not going to reimburse you for your water. They're not going to reimburse you for uh, other utilities, maybe natural gas, if you have it or, or some type of heat or things like that they'll reimburse you for internet because it's, it's an essential. Most companies will reimburse for internet, but those other utility expenses that could have been large in a budget that companies said, well, it's just a part of doing business. It's a, it's a fixed cost of doing business. Now those things start to go away because now they've shifted to some degree, they've shifted those costs back over to the employees. And now the employees go, well, now I have to create my, my own workspace from home. So maybe now they're having to renovate or remodel their home to create this space. It, it actually, you know, Michael, I, I didn't mean to jump in there, but, but as you were talking, it made me think companies will see what, what, what they may have lost or maybe fearing that they'll lose in productivity. They'll actually add it back to the bottom line with these savings and utilities and and other things that, that employees are now taking on. So I, I love what you said there. And I think it was really, really insightful. And I love what you said. I want to go back for just a moment to the leveling of the playing field, the parity now that has happened with speakers. Let me move it forward just a tad. What can someone do to improve their presence online. So now the playing field's even. So now you have the same opportunities that someone else who who is who does speaking for a living. Maybe you don't do speaking for a living. Maybe it's something you do on the side. Maybe it's something that you've wanted to do, but you're not quite at the levels of those people. What you just said is now everybody's on a level playing field. So how does someone take what they do and take it to that next level and kind of get to that point where they start to rise above where everybody else is. The key is do not treat presenting to a camera the same way you do presenting to a group of people. You have to change it. We call it pace elements. If you're going to give a 20 to 30 minute talk, for example, and you don't have to be a professional speaker. It, it could be you just got for your group. You have to give a presentation. I mean, we're all doing this now. You cannot look at a camera for 30 minutes. Yeah. On the other end, you can't just throw up a bunch of slides. That's the worst thing you can do because you know what people are doing on the other end if you're just throwing up slides. They're checking email. They're doing everything but watching. Probably listening. eating a bagel like I have next to me now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are. But we yeah. have to – and, you know, come to think of it, before we end this, I'll give your listeners access to a complimentary report. It's about how do you – present online it's it's there are 28 pace elements we talk about that just change it up it could be something as simple as use questions in a chat and have them answer in the chat box bring people on live uh, having questions you can do polls show slides but do not fill them with verbiage just trigger words show wow. images show videos 
Uh, I'm a big fan of doing what I call hot seat coaching because that's, this is what I do. And to help promote my business and to show what, how I do what I do, I coach people live on calls and it is the best source of business I have in this environment. You're really, yeah, because you're really making them stay engaged. And that's the biggest thing, Michael, is, is that, you know, companies say, well, what about engagement? What about engagement? What about engagement? People are riveted to things that are riveting. People, people say, and, and that's why, you know, and, and, and in full disclosure for those that are going to hear this episode, that's why I've taken a little longer route with, with the podcast, you know, because I think good conversation continues to draw people in and they want to stay involved in good conversation. Yes. They want to stay engaged in good conversation. It's why folks that I don't send questions beforehand. I didn't send Michael any questions because good conversation just happens naturally and people want to stay engaged in really good conversation. It's why talk radio is so successful. It's why a lot of those platforms are very successful. You may not like Rush Limbaugh, but what what he does very well is he engages his listeners for three hours. Yes. His listeners go, if I miss a minute, I'm going to miss something. He's extremely engaging in keeping that audience focused for three hours. You know how hard it is? Because, I mean, even we've been talking sports. Even at times, there will be times during a game that I want to watch. I won't watch every play. I won't watch every play that happens. I mean, if somebody kick, is kicking the ball off, eh, it's kickoff. Likely they're going to down it. But someone, to your point, Michael, I, I love that, that hot seat mentality and that thinking of the content just needs to be full of things that rivet, that engage, that resonate. Man, I love that. Thank you for, for sharing that. We'll mention that complimentary report there at the end. Absolutely. And here's the thing. You just made me think of something, Brian. Uh, last year, I was watching a football game. And it just occurred to me how often the camera angles were changing. So I, just for the heck of it, I went on YouTube and I found a game from the 80s. And I was watching it. It was almost like a different planet. If you go back and just, yeah. for all your listeners, and it's not just sports, even TV shows, go back and watch how the camera used to stay on a player for several seconds. Let's say after an incomplete pass, he'd be running back to the huddle. You get maybe, maybe a second of camera attention on that player before they're, they're going to the coaches, they're going to the stands. I mean, we are being we have become conditioned to things changing so fast that our presentations have to do the same thing or else people are going to get distracted. That's the biggest challenge we have as online presenters. Did you it's notice one thing you didn't see? Did you notice two pieces that you didn't see when you watched that clip? Oh, it wasn't full of information around the edge of the screen. There you with go. Scores That's and everything else. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and they've done that is because to some degree, the the TV, the 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 companies, the, you know, the ESPNs, the Foxes, the ABC, CBS, NBC that, that broadcast those things, know at some point in time, the attention span even of fans is not that long. And at any point that if someone jumps out of that game and jumps back into that game, they can jump right back into that game by seeing the score on the bottom of the screen and seeing what, how much time's left in a quarter, what quarter it is, and what down it is. They know that people can jump in and out very quickly. And something else you didn't see and were used to it, Go back and watch a game, and I think it's it. I love what you brought up there. The differences between then and now. Watch a football game that didn't have a first down marker. Yeah, it's true. Back then, yeah. because you know now you go, well, every game you can watch a high school game online, and at some point they're superimposing the first down line. That the, it's and it's the line to game that that the te the, the offensive team has to get to, 
I love what you said there about the way it changed. So I've got to ask one last question before we, we tell your story. Where do we go from here? When someone says in 2025, and we're looking at the way we're doing things in 2020, you and I are talking over Zoom. Where do you see in the next five years that we'll go back and look at a recording from, from this year and we'll go, man, how things have changed in five years? I'm always leery of predictions because <laughs> in the world we're talking about. How many sport, times have we said, man, the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl yeah, and the Reds are yeah. going to the World Series? Yeah. But uh, no, I, I, I want to ask that because you, you said something really insightful there about watching a game. The 80s were not that long ago. I mean, it was 30 years ago. But the way time is moving, it wasn't that long ago. So let me ask the question differently. How can people present online today that will still lead them to be as effective as they are five years from now? Are there, are there principles that they can use that, that are sustaining principles that will sustain through any, any technology cycle? Yeah, it, it does come back to the fact that you have to have a message support it with stories because stories are the great connector we've been telling stories all the way back to our earliest ancestors that's how we passed on our history our lessons our morals keep ourselves out of danger so those have to be at the core we have to have a reason for people to listen to us we have to give them a call to action Mm -hmm. how, how do we want them to think, feel, or act differently? One thing that occurs to me five years in the future, Brian, it's 2025. My guess is we're going to have much more interactive presentations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what kind of technology is on the horizon, but I, I think people will be much more involved in presentations. It will be less of one speaker. It'll be groups. We'll, we'll have them involved. I yeah. think we're going to see that in the movie industry, too. I've even heard people say uh, or re read articles that talked about that we might be able to go to movies where we can choose which ending we want. So there's going to be more uh, viewer choice. But it all, it all comes back to you have to have those key elements, and you have to practice and rehearse. There is no doubt, especially online. But what's great about Zoom is I can go put together a presentation. I can go practice it, record it on Zoom. Nobody has to be on the other end that I can go back and watch it and find what's working, what's not. And I also get feedback on it. But yeah, I think there's just going to be an ongoing increase in the amount of audience interaction and presentations going Man, forward. That is so good. Let's dive into your story. You've got, you've got an interest. I was reading a little bit of, of your bio and, and you, you talk about, and, and I want you to take me back as early as you can and as you want to, you really have a heartfelt story about how you got into public speaking. And so take the, take the, the, the audience as far back as you want to go from point A to point B and tell your story. My journey to what I do today started on a desk back in 1969. It was late in the year. I still wasn't born yet. So you, you weren't even born. <laughs> yeah. it, was a, it was a fall afternoon. The rain was hitting the windows and all the lights were off in Mrs. North's first grade class. It was nap time. Every, all the kids were resting their heads on their desk, all but one. That would be me. I was standing on my desk because I had broken a class rule earlier that day. The rule I had broken was during lunchtime, it was raining, kids were bored, and I was a huge fan of the Apollo space program. And Neil Armstrong had just taken his giant leap for mankind. So I was going to be the next astronaut on the Ohio Earth. native. Absolutely. So <laughs> during lunch, Nothing going on. I got bored. I jumped up on my desk and I was having a ball, you know, flying to the moon until Mrs. North walked into the classroom and said, well, since you love standing on your desk so much, Michael, we're going to let you do it during nap time so everybody can see you. Mm. So there I'm standing on that desk, dark room, rain hitting the windows and 
the longer I stood, all I could think was, please let me get off this desk. Please, because my, my classmates were just silently taunting me. They were pointing fingers, sticking their tongues out, all that. Now, this was 51 years ago. I don't know exactly how long I was on that desk, but I do know that when Mrs. Norris said, you can get down now, I hope you've learned your lesson, I thought, yeah, don't ever stand in front of people again. That was awful. Mm -hmm. So for the next 25 years, I pretty much did just that. When I was in sixth grade, I loved music. I wanted to join the band, but I realized mm, people would be watching me. When I was in high school, I thought I'd love to join the drama club, loved acting, but then I realized, oh, there would be people in the audience looking at me. Even in college, some buddies and I had uh, thought about doing open mic night. People really would laugh at me there. And I just had all these activities, experiences I would have liked to have had, but that fear of being looked at and taunted and humiliated, it was like I was still on that desk. And then in October of 1994, I had become a certified financial planner. Part of my job was to go out and give retirement planning workshops in the community. So one day my boss calls me into his office. He hands me a stack of papers and says, read this. These are the evaluations from your last workshop. And I thought, oh, these have got to be good. I mean, I killed it. I had all these slides. I gave him all the information I had. I just threw the kitchen sink at him. I just wanted him to be educated. And I looked down, Brian, at the first one, and it said, way too much information for this event. Okay. Looked at the next one. Does this guy ever take a breath? Guy talks too fast. I couldn't keep up. Guy moves around too much. I mean, it was just one after another after another. And I finally stopped and I looked at my boss. I said, Joe, is, is there anything good in here? Should I keep going? He said, oh yeah, there's one. There's a good one. Keep going. So I thumbed through it and sure enough, there it was. Mike has nice hair. <laughs> I said, that's it? He said, yeah, You do that's have it. good hair, Mike. Oh, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. He said, yeah, uh, here's the thing. If you do not fix this problem, we're going to let you go. You know, part of your job when we hired you, you said you could get people in the door through these workshops, and it's not happening. You need to fix this or else. That was the day that my fear of losing my job was greater than my fear of standing in front of people and being humiliated. Hmm. Now, that led me to an organization called Toastmasters International which eventually led me to the National Speakers Association. And the most important lesson I learned early on, Brian, was that public speaking is like any other skill. It is learnable. I thought you were born that way or you weren't, and it's not true. Some of the greatest speakers on the planet are introverts who had horrible, much worse than I did, uh, experiences of public humiliation and embarrassment. You know, Michael, I wanna, I wanna jump in there because sure. I had a friend of mine on, uh, Tom Ziegler, his dad, Zig Ziegler, was a legendary speaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Tom said something to me one time. He said, Brian, he said, I thought that when people had me come to speak, they wanted me to be my dad. Oh. They were expecting me to be dad. And he said, that was internal to me. No, he said, they wanted to hear Tom. They didn't want to hear, they they loved and respected Zig, right. but they wanted to hear Tom. How long, Michael, did it take you to find Michael and to find the voice that you had and to find the skill that worked for you and, and knowing that that was your unique value proposition that you could add in those situations? Was it what Did it take you a period of time or did you have one of those moments you go, this is what I do well. I just need to, to ramp it up. It was both. It took me seven years from the day I joined Toastmasters in 94 to a day in 2001. I was under the impression. So you were not an overnight success. So, so, nope. I, and I, and I want to jump, I want to jump in there because I think a lot of people, Michael, and I love what you said. I had to piggyback off of that because I think a lot of people, and I see this around a lot of younger people, they want to do something and have instant success because we can go to a, a restaurant 
we can pull through in our car, we can order into, we can speak into the menu, and in five minutes or less, we've got food. We've got hot food and we're ready to go. We've, we have become, you know, we, we trade cell phones because they become too slow. We yeah. just are a society of instantaneous success. It took you seven years. And I want to emphasize that. Take me through your mindset through that time. Did you feel like, is this going to come together? Did you, what were you feeling through that, that time from 94 to 2001 as you were going through this process? Looking back, I didn't see it at the time. I was very insecure and did not trust that I had anything worth saying. So to compensate for that, I became a quote, polished speaker, which meant that the hair was always perfectly brushed, the suit was perfect, the shoes were shined, I had the professional appearance, and I memorized everything word for word. And I would hear, people would say to me, oh, you're so polished. And I wore that as a badge of honor until one day in 2001, when I walked into a Toastmasters meeting and long and short of it is they didn't have, nobody showed up that day basically to speak who was scheduled and they were desperate to have somebody talk. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. Even though everything inside of me was saying, don't, you're going to look foolish. You're not even dressed the part. You haven't memorized it. So I got up and I gave this speech about seven minutes long, sat down and, and started to berating myself. I'm like, that was awful. This is going to be the worst evaluation you've ever had. Why would you even do that to yourself? So my friend Chris gets up, he gives me some feedback. If you're not familiar with Toastmasters, in a meeting yeah. you give a speech and then you get some feedback, which is very helpful. It's one of the strengths of the organization. Uh, he gives me some constructive feedback. He said, you did this well, you uh, could improve here. And just as he turned to walk away uh, to finish his evaluation, he said, oh, by the way, I don't know what you did differently today, but I have never seen you be more authentic. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it, that was, and I hate cliches, but that was a light bulb moment. It said, wait a minute, you don't have to go up there perfectly presenting. And that's when I finally understood what it meant to be an authentic presenter. It'd be willing to share your, your struggles, your strife, your setbacks, your scars, because that's what connects us to people. Now, since then, I have a can of furniture polish I keep in my office as a reminder to never be polished. Hmm. Because when you're polished, you're, uh, nothing sticks to polish, right? Yeah. Which means no message sticks. No, you don't connect with people. Be yourself. And this is hard. You got to trust that the journey you've been on, the lessons you've learned will help others. And they will. And people don't want you to be perfect. Don't be perfect online. I I've, given over 500 online presentations, workshops, coaching calls. And whenever I do an online workshop about online presenting, the first thing I tell them is you are going to make mistakes every single time. Get over it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not why people are there. They don't want you to be perfect. They want you to give them message, a, a message, hope, something that's going to make their lives a little bit better. They're not going to talk about the mistakes unless you make a big deal of it and you give them nothing else to talk about. What's well, the dog barking in the background that you think you've got put away and, and it's the, you know, it's the light that falls that, that you thought you had perfectly placed and you're shining it down on yourself. People embrace those moments because to your point, it connects them. They say, yeah, you know, my dog barks or, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. the lights <laughs> falling, you know, the lights falling in, in, you know, on, on me. I remember a time in my son and I, my 20 year old, we were talking about this the other day. I was in church getting ready to go to the keyboard and I took a different route. It was real narrow. My foot got caught and I tipped the keyboard over yeah. and, and fell down and I just looked at my pastor. He was looking at me. I just went, what do you, yeah. It's yeah. And he told me, he said, you know what? He said, when I'm having a bad day, I think about those moments. I think about that moment. And he said, I start laughing. And it was embarrassing. My wife was just like, oh, you know, can I hide under the pew or something like that? 
but I love what you said there about authentic, connectable moments. Those imperfect moments, Michael, really tend to bring people together. I want to go here for just a second with you. Thinking about your career and, and, and those imperfect moments, what was the greatest obstacle that you overcame? And, and what was the lesson that you took from it? My own insecurity and a lack of self-worth. I realized that, first of all, it took me a long time to figure out, but this, I was a certified financial planner for 29 years, and I was good at that. I didn't love it. And it wasn't until I got into coaching and presentations that I realized I found my calling. I found what I'm supposed to be doing because I know the pain of not being able to stand in front of a group and present or getting bad, bad evaluations, except about the hair, of course. Right? Mm -hmm. I know that pain. I know the regret. I, I still regret at some small level not playing an instrument in, in elementary school, not going out for acting in you know, drama club. I'll always carry that. I don't want people to go through that same regret, that pain. And I can help them. My superpower, if you will, is I can reach inside of people and pull those stories down that connect them with themselves, first of all, to give them that confidence to help find that true voice and then use that to inspire other people. Because if there was ever a time in my lifetime where people needed to be inspired and have hope, it sort of feels like it right now. Hey, I'm a superhero to my family. My wife calls me Captain Moron sometimes. So, I there mean, you it's, go. you know. <laughs> Captain Smart Alex. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, or Captain Obvious, you know, it's, it's one of those, right. it's one of, it's one of those three. I love what you said there about insecurity, because I think to some degree, I, I, and I was kidding with my son one day. I showed him there's a there's a famous clip from Saturday Night Live where Al Franken's playing a character called his name was Stuart Smalley, and it was Stuart called Smalley. Daily Affirmations. Mm -hmm. And he has Michael Jordan, who at the time was just the the most dominant basketball player on the planet. Yeah. And he has Michael Jordan look into the to the mirror and say, "Okay, Mike. Now we'll we'll talk." And Michael Jordan goes, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And, and, but, but that's the thing is, Michael, we get in our own way sometimes through insecurity. We think to ourselves, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? And do people like me? Do I present myself well? Do I, do I really make resonance? Do I really, am I consistent? You know, th those questions of insecurity, that come to mind. I want to bring our conversation home with this. I want you to leave the audience with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, whether it be around that or around anything else that you want to, to say to the audience to intentionally encourage them. I think in the times that we're in, there's so much strife, there's so much anger and anxiety. I believe that if every one of us was forced to sit down with somebody who didn't look like us, think like us, and listen to their story for five minutes, and then share our story for five minutes, it would be a lot less stressful world. We would see people as we really are underneath the surface that 99.9% .9 of the planet wants the same thing. Yeah. But we get caught up in the politics or the, the ethnic differences or the cultural differences. And we're, we've gone too tribal. Mm -hmm. We're reverting back to how our ancestors were 5,000 years ago. And that's not the modern society that, that has evolved. And if we don't get past that, we're going to continue to have problems. And I think, again, solutions can often be very simple. It starts with taking the time to listen to one another. Yeah. Not listen as in, okay, hurry up. I got something to say. No, really shut down everything in your head and just listen and learn about what this person is about. You're going to find that you have much more in common than you do differently. I just happen to be blessed to be in a field where I get to work with people all the time. 
helping them pull those stories out. And I've learned so much about cultures, people. I've worked with people on four continents. I, I've seen so many different perspectives that it's changed how I view the world. Yeah. Well, and I've said this too, and and I and again, forgive me. I, I just I have to piggyback off of this. The greatest relationships are always cultivated in common ground. Mm-hmm. When you can cultivate relationships in common ground, that's where the most fertile soil is for those relationships. Mm-hmm. Is there in common ground, man? This has been such a fun conversation. Mention you teased it earlier. So now I'm, I, I, and I wrote it down so that, that I can ask you about it. You have a complimentary report for folks that can help them improve their online presence. Tell them about it, Michael. Yeah, actually, I've got three, and they can pick, they, I'll send all three complimentary. Uh, one is called Help, I Have to Present Online, Now What? It just gives some tips on how to best present, uh, how you should set up your physical environment, how you should... Uh, sound and and how to keep things minimalist but powerful. The second is a series of 28 what we call pace elements. How can you change up those online presentations to keep people interested? And also I have something called 52 storytelling tips. So I'm happy to send you all those. Uh, The 52 tips is a weekly five-minute audio that gets sent right to your email address. it just builds one tip on top of another. The most important point I want to make whenever I'm on a podcast is I get how people get spammed to death when they sign up for something free. My promise to you is if you sign up for those three, you're not going to get bombarded additionally. I just want to help people get out, become more effective online to become better storytellers. If you want to follow up with me and ask questions, that's fine, but I'm not going to chase you down with, and definitely not bombard you with spam, but you can just write to me at mike at speakingcpr.com. I'll get those over to you and answer any questions you have. That's mike at speakingcpr.com. Yes, sir. You can connect with him, excuse me, on LinkedIn at Michael Davis. And uh, again, Um, encourage you to do that. We'll link those complimentary reports in the show notes. So we'll get those, we'll get those from Michael and, and we'll link those. And in that way you can, you can, as you want to um, consume as much of his content as you want to. to. That's a beautiful thing. And I love what you said there. It's there. Every day of the content. And And until next time, remember every Everywhere, Michael Davis, this has been a blast, man. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional. My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Enjoyed it.